All right, guys, we're back here on the clock for our series here, the FFPC mini-sodes, where we walk through each of our decision points in our first FFPC main event. We started this team off from the 11 hole with AJ Brown and CD Lamb. We came back at the 3-4 turn with Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf. We kept pissing yellow there at 5-6 with Brandon Ayuk and Deontay Johnson. And then the sweat was on for how we were going to approach this 7-8 turn. We were starting to look at the onesie positions a little bit, starting to maybe consider our first running back. And we have a string of picks, guys, that was pretty brutal as far as some of our targets. At 7-3, Javante Williams, and you have Gabe Davis, Quentin Johnston, Traylon Burks, DeAndre Swift, Elijah Moore, Jahan Dotson, Pat Fryermuth, and then we're on the clock at 7-11, I will admit our picks are already in here. We weren't able to uh, to get uh, on the horn yesterday to discuss these decisions. But what were you guys thinking uh, about initially when you found out we're on the clock at 7-11 here? Well, I was annoyed because at 6-7, I was messaging you guys that, hey, J.K. Dobbins had, had not had not gone yet. That was somebody we very loosely talked about at the 5-6 turn. Uh, but he felt like cover. And, and maybe the fact that he slid all the way through the sixth round past ADP was evidence that Javante Williams would slide in this room because maybe these drafters are a little uncon you know are uh, uncomfortable with with unhealthy running backs and you know DeAndre Swift was another running back in that tier seemed like we might get a nice running back faller and then at the six seven turn there was like four running backs and five picks we also really liked the wide receivers that might be available at seven eight and you just mentioned like five or six of them went in the seven picks before us and then Friar Booth was the one tight end as well that we were very into and he goes one pick before us. So it was a list of kind of like if we would have been had been filling out our queue, a list of targets that that just got wiped out before we got on the clock. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't ideal. Um, and it came so the guy that you guys were most interested in, uh, I think, or the name that was one of the first names that was floated was Evan Ingram, who I am like uh, very out on this year. Um, which made this a difficult turn. And then James Conner was the, was the value from the ADP perspective. Uh, and none of us are really. And Dalvin Cook, I think, was a third as well that was a value from uh, the ADP perspective. None of us are that into Conner. I take Conner sometimes in best ball, but he's like hardly, you know, an exciting main event pick. Um, so, yeah, they got, I just, I floated the two names. The other thing that was difficult about this is that we were all pretty busy this weekend and so yeah. we're trying to do this through chat and it wasn't you know you always want the pick to be clear and it to be someone that everyone's excited about but it's especially tough when when it's not and then you can't actually get on and do a mini so i think this is like a mini that we would have loved to be on, on the clock and actually talk through in real time but none of us could and so we're just like furiously discord chatting while we had a had a break from various obligations so uh, the two guys that I floated were, were James Cook and Jordan Addison as the most fun guys that were available. And I think our big dilemma, right, is, you know, we're all, we all have the stomach to keep taking wide receivers, but then you do start to think structurally about, you know, how are you going to scoop up zero RB targets, scoop up tight end values, and scoop up a punt tight end bill. Like you're essentially punting every position other than wide receiver. And as much as we like the wide receivers in this range, there does come a spot where you can't take running backs, quarterbacks, tight ends all in the same pocket of the draft. I know that's what you were struggling with as well, Ben. Yeah, that was really the big thing for me. <clears throat> and this idea of, of getting to seven wide receivers that you guys have talked about as kind of a focus and a goal since even before I was drafting with you guys, 
that I've always been very comfortable with as well, and we've done in the last couple of years, was something that I wanted to talk to a little bit more this year, particularly in the 2023 drafting meta, where the quarterbacks are viewed a lot differently. Because I think even three years ago, when we talk about getting all that receiver depth, one of the things you, you're hoping for is, okay, I can still hit on that late-round quarterback that's a top-five guy. Late-round tight end is still pretty viable. Um, obviously, we like the, the the paths that you can get on zero RB in terms of trying to at least mimic. You can't really mim mimic legendary upside uh, at running back, but mimic the like RB3 or RB4's production. It's something I wrote about last year as you know, calling this Frankenstein running back thing when you're doing the zero RB thing, how that all adds up and kind of using some examples, some real life examples. It's not getting to the 23 plus point scores that Pat's written about on legendary upside, but it is getting hopefully close to the next tier of running back. So my and concern. The reason, the reason that that really works is especially like the guy who found the legendary running back, if it took him five cracks at running back to do that, and he ended up with a terrible team around and but one good player. Like if you don't necessarily need if you're drafting productive players and crushing him in the flex at wide receiver, um, and you're you're getting close enough at running back, you'll you'll be right. Okay. Right. But so the concern with the the rising quarterback values in 2023 for me was just, I mean, did we did we need to use this turn to hit anchors at two different positions so we can start to build that goal at running back? But also at quarterback that we probably can't mix, match the upside of the elites. And that's why quarterbacks are starting to go higher than ever. And so the late round quarterback thing, it's not that, hey, I can have this year's QB1. It's that I'm hoping to get that next tier of quarterback scoring sort of similar to zero RB. And then I think you're kind of in a similar boat with tight end, frankly, as well. And so do we have enough point scoring in our starting lineups when we get to seven receivers in the first eight rounds? That was a question I wanted to talk through. And, and was kind of favoring Evan Ingram, even though, Pat, you made some really good arguments against him. I think of him as a floor play and felt like, okay, well, at least we're locking in four points at tight end in this 11-week 11 11 abbreviated regular season. Yeah, I guess – and the reason that I – I like the ceiling on James Cook, who ended up being the first guy that we took, which, which I think made the most sense because – that was not a wide receiver. And so it's like, all right, let's get at least one non-wide receiver with the two picks. I think he's got a pretty exciting ceiling. I don't think he was a great prospect, but second round draft capital, getting really good buzz at camp. Um, you know, it, I doubt he's like a true goal line back for them. That seems like kind of you're really just like, you know, that's that's like his 98th percentile outcome or something. He actually gets used in, at the goal line in a really meaningful way. But if he's their true lead running back on a super high scoring offense and gets used as a receiver a lot and is explosive, um, he can easily pay off this ADP and, and be a really fun running back one for us. Yeah, yeah. I would. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to pull up the board um, here and I, I was definitely on board with the James Cook selection and just also thinking about how these rooms go. It does feel like FFPC drafters are going to gobble up the zero RB premium targets even quicker than they are some of these tight ends and it did give me a little bit i was more comfortable punting these other onesies this year just knowing that the landscape is a little different than previous years the quarterbacks pushed up more and the tight ends tons of value late and so i do think making the running back pick with one of these two made a ton of sense because it could get even further wiped out by the time we're on the clock at the end of the ninth 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it was an easy pick to start the zero RB build. I was very in on it as well. One of the other just notes on Cook's profile for anyone interested, a fun stat on Devin Singletary. All four years of his career, exactly 2.4 receptions per game in Buffalo. Four straight seasons. <laughs> uh, if you go to like his pro football reference page, it rounds to the 10th decimal. It's 2.4, 2.4, 2.4, 2.4. And that's with really low targets per out run out of him. Cook actually showed a little bit more targets per out run upside. Zach Moss used to too. Like Singletary, apparently, I, I don't think running backs usually draw targets, but like maybe just isn't in the right spot sometimes when he releases. They usually just played him on pass downs because he was a good pass blocker, I think is the big thing. But he still soaked up some receptions is my point. I think Cook is the obvious candidate to take that on, as, as Pat was saying. Yep. And so we we select James Cook, which I think is a pick that we all you know felt good about, at least as a consolation prize for some of the other things we wanted to yeah. do. And then kind of like we have done with some of these other picks, with DK Metcalf, with Deontay Johnson, we punted the hard decision to it coming back around in the next <laughs> round. And so Brandon Cooks goes, Michael Thomas goes, uh, neither of those guys were in consideration for us. And now we're back here deciding between another running back. You guys mentioned James Conner. Uh, continuing to go yellow with Jordan Addison, or do we convince Pat that Evan Ingram makes sense here? Spoiler alert, Ben and I were not able to convince Pat that Evan Not Ingram for a lack of trying. Yeah, we really, <laughs> we literally right, right, ran right the clock. I did. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. I did. So Saturday night, we were all busy. Our clock was going to run out Sunday morning. We literally talked about it until our clock ran out. Addison, top of the queue. For those watching on YouTube, you'll see the, the auto draft symbol. We literally were in the middle of our chat. Like I, I met, mentioned at one point, we have four minutes on the clock, four-minute warning, and we let it run through. I think I would have preferred Ingram as much as I like Addison for the reasons I was laying out with the seven wide receiver build. Not necessarily being against that, but with, on a team where we already went Debo and I, you can kind of talk through how that's going to, you know, there's that you know single element. It's not really a single at this high of the draft, but probably one of those guys is going to be startable in almost any scenario I can envision. We're playing A.J. Brown and C.D. Lamb. I mean, Deontay Johnson, that's part of the reason you guys didn't necessarily want to take him, but he is a target floor type of guy. Um, I, I there's Injuries can happen. By weeks, obviously, we want to be able to cover those. There's a lot of reasons that we've always loved wide receiver depth, but I did feel like Ingram in particular, he was third in the NFL in routes run last year. He was at 523. Only six uh, tight ends were over 450. So he was a pretty big gap over even like the seventh and eighth tight ends in routes run. He didn't earn volume in a massive clip, but pretty pretty solid for a guy running that many routes. And the bigger thing with the Jags, all four of their main guys ran a ton of routes. Uh, Christian Kirk was up over 600. Zay Jones also was up over 500. Marvin Jones is at like 474. They didn't have another wide receiver or tight end on their entire roster that had 100 routes run. So the addition of Ridley, Pat, you made a good point here that that could be a problem for Ingram. But with Marvin Jones leaving, Ingram still fits in with that main four, 11 personnel, three receivers and the tight end, where I think it's really easy to project him for 450 plus routes, which is probably going to put him at top five in the league, you know, especially if he's up over 500 routes like he was last year. The ceiling, probably not great, but it's I think it's still possible. He had a really solid stretch down down the end of the year after his really big game and whatever it was week 14 or week 15 he had another big game in the regular season and then another really solid game in the playoffs had 12 catches in two playoff games actually ran more routes than uh kirk in the playoffs so he was getting used even more late when the jaguars were starting to come on some potential at least for a second uh team breakout which we've seen with tight ends we saw with eric ebron we saw greg olsen if you go way back 
But I don't I, – I kind of agree with you, Pat, that he doesn't really have the talent. I just felt like the floor here on a very concentrated routes-based offense, the floor for routes, the floor for receptions and tight end premium was all going to be pretty solid and help our build in a way that like, okay, we've at least checked that box and now we don't have pressure to hit late round QB, late round tight end and zero RB and all these, you know, coming rounds. Yeah. And I, my thing with, with Addison, partly it's that like, you know, this is a, so it's different environment, you know, in terms of the overall like meta fantasy landscape of where wider series are being drafted compared to years past. But if you just look at this draft room, like Jackson Smith and Jigba went mid sixth, Quentin Johnson went 705 and we had a chance to take Jordan Addison at the 802 when he is a very, very strong prospect and an early to clear, highly productive, uh, really checks all the boxes, except that he lands with Justin Jefferson. So he's not going to, you know, have this massive, massive breakout, but down the stretch, he could still be very productive in an offense that I think could be very explosive. Um, and I like the way he layers into this, this room. Like if you're going to take a seventh wide receiver, it'd be really nice if he were a first round pick who we all expect to be good, you know, on an offense that's going to throw the ball. Like that's a great way to kind of get that, that seventh wide receiver in there. And so I agree with you that Engram is kind of a floor play and it just felt like, man, but we have a real legit ceiling play here. You know, again, he's not like the purest, you know, the Quentin Johnson would have been an easier sell in that regard. But um, I do think he, he provides a really nice late season ceiling, which is kind of exactly what, I want in the wide receiver seven in the spot. So, and then the, with Ingram, I just have a lot of concern about, about him. Um, I noted that his, his um, percentage of routes run out wide was a career high last year at 23%. I think that's the thing when you look at the difference between what Ridley and Marvin Jones bring that could really hurt because Marvin Jones only had a route rate of 76% last year. Ridley's probably going to be, where Kirk and Zay Jones were last year up around 95%. And so does Kirk or Zay Jones fall to that 76% or do you use your tight end out wide a little less and he actually sees a lower route rate than he had last year? I think that's more likely of the two. And then it comes down to like, all right, well, how good is this dude? And if you look at open score for like his entire career, he's never been impressive there. He was tight end 23 in that metric last year. He drew targets at an 18 percent, uh, 18 and a half uh, target per route run, which is an improvement from an abysmal 2020, 2021 season. He's been at more before that horrible season, which was like 12 percent. He was um, more between like 20 and 22 percent. So he, you know, before the the disastrous ending to the Giants season, he, he'd shown uh, to the Giants tenure, he'd shown an ability to, to draw targets at a decent rate. But he's never been dominant in that regard. He's never rated well particularly well getting open i think the addition of ridley could create kind of a spread out target environment here um so that's just that was my thing with ingram i feel like you can kind of arbitrage ingram a little bit uh and if we're shooting for floor i i want to do it at the next turn like i i'm like hey it's the eighth round there's a there's a first round wide receiver who i like his profile let's grab one last upside ticket yeah, that I think was a pretty compelling case, uh, especially Addison, just relative to the other receivers off the board and at this cost. And I, I thought back as we were talking through it to something Pete mentioned while we were on the one-two turn that we're kind of making a decision here. And we've talked about this before, Jonathan Taylor went 109, but we we're talking about Taylor at the one-two turn. Obviously, kind of glad that we don't have him at this point because we don't really know if this guy's even going to be playing. But uh, we kind of made the decision at one-two 
made the decision at three four about you know what we would like in this spot Addison versus Ingram. Addison's obviously the better profile. I'm just talking about structural decisions that I would yeah. be way more in on Addison if we had taken a running back at one two, for example, or a tight end at one two. If we'd taken Mark Andrews, which Pat you wanted to do at that time, um, I think I would have been way more in on Addison. Not over so Lamb. That did help me. I would have been Lamb falling to us made that really hard to yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I, I agree completely with Ben. Like my concerns are not with the Addison pick, uh, dare I say in a vacuum, but just strictly structurally, but we kind of made that choice early on. And I think one thing I'm realizing from doing this first FFPC main event is like, this is a tricky side of the board as it pertains to the onesie positions. Cause a lot of those guys, both quarterback and tight ends are not coming back to you. And then you're having to reach ahead of their ADP if you want to prioritize them for structural reasons. And we see that happen with both Herbert and Fields almost coming back to us, but not Fryermuth not coming back. And then those other positions, like you have to take those guys early. Like you have to take Josh Allen in the second round. If you want him from the backside of the board, you have to take Andrews early, Kittle Pitts early if you want those guys. And so I do think we are making the best decisions for this team in this draft slot. And one other thing I'll say about Addison, and I had mentioned at the top of the show, like I do care about the playoff sprint in this format. The Vikings have the best schedule for the playoffs. They're at Cincinnati week 15. Then they have two back-to-back dome games at home versus Detroit, at home versus Green Bay. They have the fifth highest average projected team total weeks 15 through 17 of all the teams, higher than the Chargers, higher than all these other teams with prolific offenses because it is schedule aided by these dome games and these matchups. And so having a share of a really talented first round rookie with the nut playoff schedule is, is exciting to me. Yeah, I'm glad you guys came around. I uh, capitulated oh, yeah. on, on Brandon Ayuk uh, and, at, at the five, fifth round. I capitulated on Deontay Johnson in the sixth round, and then I immediately uh, took those chips and cashed them in and said, we're not taking Evan Ingram. Well, You're muted, when you, look, when you look at where Jordan Addison goes relative to these other guys, I mean, Jordan Addison goes, what, like three rounds ahead of Michael Thomas on, on yeah. underdog yeah, most exactly. times? Like, it is pretty insane the price you're getting on him relative to the other players. You guys got me really excited on Addison for sure, uh, especially now. Pete, that was another really great point that hadn't been brought up earlier, but um, or I didn't know that yet, that Minnesota team totals in weeks 15 to 17, just fantastic note there. It does make me wish that we had taken one last receiver in the first six rounds. I don't know exactly where, but like in a perfect 50 or 2020 hindsight you know, way, and just sort of thinking through this being our first draft and whether or not we have the room to make those early detours and to to take anchors at other positions. I think we do. Uh, I think that type of a pick right there with Addison, I don't think we needed a seventh receiver at this point. And I do think when we get to round 14, 15, and we look back, we're going to have to be telling ourselves a story on the upside of our tight end build and a story on the upside of our QB build. It's going to be a little bit tricky. I think, I think we're going to like our team. I, I feel like... I, I think we're going to like our team, but I, I do – I worry about the early season points in an 11-week regular season and how we're going to be able to realize uh, the upside of this wide receiver room, which is incredibly high. I think – I mean, that's a, that's an obvious counter to this type of building that's been floated for years. I do think it is a little bit trickier in 2023. We'll see. Yeah, we'll have to see how the, the running – but what I like about it is that I think we can layer – pretty easily like the tight ends the running backs and the quarterbacks obviously like that's we're basically done at wide receiver now so <laughs> that's all the rest of our draft but like 
they layer a little bit. Like when you look at the guys mm-hmm. we like, it's sort of like they're not all in, you know, around 11, 12. It's not like that turn is where everyone we want is, or for example. You know, so I think we'll be able to get guys. We're going to have to make some tough decisions, but I think we can kind of map it out and end up feeling like pretty excited about those three positions because and we're gonna have to tap it with volume. Even quarterback will probably end up with at least two. Uh, I could talk me into three, but there's, there's upside available. Like the, it's really, when I look at it, some of the ways we can build this out, it's really like you're taking on risk, but it's not necessarily like you're giving up upside at these three positions. I mean, look at, only eight quarterbacks are off the board right now. Trevor Lawrence was the last quarterback to go at 6'10". We've gone almost over two full rounds with no other quarterback selections. Even Ingram slides here, which is a bit of a validation to Pat's point. I thought he was going to get snap picked up in this format, like directly behind us. And he slides all the way to the end of the eighth. Then David Njoku comes off the board right after well, thank goodness him. for james but, connor because i was able to point that he was the the bigger adp value so it's like I, I, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but connor, none of us wanted james connor but i was just like no, if you're really adp bros like, we should take connor he just feels like a wasted pick in this format too and you want to go look at like team total stuff for the playoffs um it's like yeah. you're getting docked on connor on both sides like when you do have the projectable volume for him at the start of the season, Kyler's not going to be playing. They're going to be one of the worst offenses in the league. And then when Kyler comes back, if if that happens, they have the worst projected team total. They're averaging 15 points per game, weeks 15 through 17. You've got to think they're auditioning other spots in the lineup there. I just I do not like James Conner unless you're getting a mega, mega discount. Yeah, no, I think that was – I think I said it. I was the one who floated him just because as an ADP value. Yeah. And I think I said later that I was uh, embarrassed that I even mentioned it in our chat. But I do, I do think it, it's interesting that it does feel tricky. Like we're backed into a corner with what we need to do. And yet to Pat's point, I do think we're going to have tons of options. When you look the one spot, I think we'll probably be a little aggressive here is probably running backs, just making sure knowing like a lot of the upside candidates can get gobbled up quickly, but I don't know. I think we're going to be fine at quarterback and and tight end. I think we're going to make it work. I do too. I'm excited to see for sure. Um, All right, guys, next time we do one of these, hopefully we will be officially on the clock. Like we said, the, uh, the weekend dynamics made it hard to get together there, but we are back in the saddle here uh, almost halfway done with this first main event, our team to recap through eight rounds, AJ Brown, CD Lamb, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, Brandon Ayuk, Deontay Johnson, James Cook, Jordan Addison. The people wanted a true zero RB build. They want us to reestablish the brand. We'll hear you guys go seven wide receivers through eight rounds. We'll see you guys next time on the clock.